just come on, what would it mean to you, that sentence, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet? Well, to me, it would mean that you're a liar. You've seen it twice, once with Laura, oops, and once with me and Dick, remember? We had that conversation about the guy making Beretta shotgun ammo off screen in the 14th century. Right, all right, but let's just say that I hadn't seen it, and I said to you, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. What would you think? I'd think that you're a cinematic idiot, and I'd feel sorry for you. All right, but from that one sentence, would you think that I was going to see it? I'm sorry, Rob, I'm struggling here. You're asking me, what would I think if you told me you hadn't seen a film that you have already seen, what am I supposed to say? Just listen to me. If I said to you, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet, yes. Would you get the impression that I really wanted to see it? Oh, uh, well, you couldn't have been desperate to see it, otherwise you'd have already gone. Right, I'm not going to see that movie. But the word yet. Yeah, you know what? I'd get the impression that you wanted to see it. Otherwise, you'd have said you didn't want to go. But in your opinion, would I definitely go? How the fuck am I supposed to know? Probably. Why? Because it's a brilliant film. It's so funny and violent and the soundtrack kicks fucking ass. I never thought I'd say this, but can I go work now? Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. I'm hot because I have this plate of rice aroni in front of me. You sound like Mr. Microphone. Hey, babe, we'll be back to pick you up later. Did you get that rice-a-roni from the post office? No, this is just... It's just a San Francisco market. treat. That's what I said to my wife earlier. She didn't get the joke. Was she wearing her Sam Haynes shirt? <sighs> Sounds like that's over. <laughs> no. <clears throat> so you're going to eat rice-a-roni while we're talking to you? You're just going to be shoveling rice in your mouth? Well, there's nowhere else to shovel it. Where else am I supposed to shovel it? Would you like me to tell you? (laughs) You scheduled the podcast at primetime dinner time. What am I supposed to do? It's practically crack of dawn for you over in San Francisco, wherever you are. No, it's quarter to six. Prime eating time. Is it quarter to six? We got to get cracking. That's what we're doing. Well, start eating before (laughs) before our our guest comes comes on. You know know who's on this week, right, right, Gabe? Bon Scott's nephew. Right. Kelly Scott from Failure. Do, do you remember him? Did you have to Google him? No, I knew who he was as soon as you said it. Oh, yeah? Really? Are you sure? Yes. As soon as you said Kelly Scott, I'm like, I think he misspelled his name. <laughs> and I think Kelly's I, been misspelling his name his entire life. Yeah. Speaking of stuff, uh, I don't know if you can see this, but... Can you see that? No, you're not going to be able to see that. I saw something. Well, I saw it sideways. Well, oh, is that the Chicago Sam Haines? 
was in the practice space yesterday, Gabe. Ryan just happened to mention, yeah, and there's this old paper thing of like, what, oh, the old they were in your apartment. Okay. And there it is. There's the Sam Haynes shirt. And I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. So is it Sun Times or is it, um, let's go, Tribune? Um, I can't. It looks like the Sun Times. It is definitely is, the Sun Times. Did we clean the apartment before they came over? I mean, if that was cleaning the apartment, uh, we did a shit job. I know, but that's in your the, room. In the caption, it says it looks like Lucas's uh, suitcase exploded. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you knew they were coming to take pictures of the apartment, and you didn't clean. Why would I? They, they wanted to check out what how I lived, how I was living. That's how I was living. No, that's not how. I mean, if, <clears throat> that wasn't not, how I was living? Dude, it was, but you don't want people to see your dirty laundry. I don't give a shit. It wasn't dirty. It was just, you know, I just got home from tour. <laughs> I'm not going to clean it up, try to pretend that I'm, I wasn't a musician. <laughs> That's it. Well, you couldn't I, wait to show that Sam Haynes shirt, though. I was right. Once again, I was right. You were wrong. Now, do you remember that? I don't remember you wearing that shirt specifically for that photo shoot, but I remember giving you the shirt, and I remember the photo shoot. But only you would remember what shirt you were wearing during a photo shoot for the Sun Times. Well, well, you know, I can't help it if I remember iconic T-shirts that I was wearing. uh, But you still have it. Iconic moments. And you know what? I think think Sean Rice borrowed that shirt from me when they did Metallica at uh, the Double Door and he never gave it back. So Sean Rice has that shirt. No, hold on. I never knew this. The Made to Fade set of Metallica. Uh Uh-oh. The Halloween show. He was wearing the James Hetfield, Sam Hain iconic shirt because he looks like James Hetfield. But that was my shirt. He never told me he was wearing my shirt. Well, it was my shirt because he gave it to me. No, no. By default, it was my shirt because I... Let you he, use it or ha- he needed have it. His, he was like, I need that Sam Haynes shirt. I was like, well, today's your lucky day, Sean. I happen to have it. He goes, oh, can I borrow it? I was like, of course. And you mentioned and he, that it was mine originally to him at the time. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I do that? Well, what is going to have to find this shirt? <clears throat> yeah. Get it back to its rightful owners. Myself. <laughs> Is that you, is that the rule of it? giving a T-shirt to somebody that if that if there comes a time when they are no longer going to wear it, they can't pass it along to anyone else. They have to give it back to you. Gabe's right. got a whole lot of rules, There's and rules. you know, I mean, none of them are like Gabe's rules aren't rules that he's been living by for years. They're just rules that he comes up with on the fly. It's like, all right, here's the deal. It's like, no, no, you never told me that. He didn't give me the shirt and go now. If you ever decide you don't want this shirt, it comes back to me. That never happened. And well, I never thought I wouldn't get the shirt back or that I'd be still arguing with you about it. <laughs> well, let's just bring it full circle. Remember when okay. I came out, I came out uh, a couple months ago or so. And I actually, California? no, you came out. Whatever. When came I came out, out what? Came out. What, what are you talking about? When we came saw each other at some point and we saw each other. I think I was okay. in uh, South Carolina. And I handed you a box, and inside that box was the Pitchfork Eucalyptus LP on vinyl. Oh, here he goes. 
And I said, one thing about this record, I'm going to give it to you, but if you ever think about getting rid of it, it comes back to here. It comes back to Papa. So you can have it until you don't want it anymore, or it comes back to me. First of all, you did not say that. Oh, I said it. Second of all, I said, you don't have to give this to me. You know, no, I, I'm, I said, I'm fine. No, I said, you, you should enjoy this record on vinyl. You can play it on your vinyl, you know, your turntable. Because I'm so, the only one with a, a turntable. Uh, mine plays out of a speaker that's not even a stereo. You know what I mean? No. I have a speaker, one speaker, and that's it. It's that's, not even a stereo speaker. It's just a speaker. All right. I'm losing respect. Move on. <laughs> I want to ask something. Something came up today. I had an argument with a friend, and it was a, about sort of unspoken rules of grammar. Okay. We were talking about Chicago-style pizzas, and... Uh, my friend was saying that they are they're sick of people talking about Lou Malnati's they don't like Lou Malnati's I'm like what do okay, you mean okay right right then right right there I Can know stop there's already a problem about, talk about what you just said Chicago style pizzas isn't it just Chicago style pizza oh okay well no because there's different there's different kinds because I was like what do you mean what do you mean you don't like Lou Malnati's and they were like I like Giordano's I like stuffed pizzas right I don't like deep dish pizzas I'm with, I'm with your buddy. I, I, I understand what he's saying. Okay. And then I said, well, what do you think about the Chicago pizza company and their little uh-huh. pot pie kind of pizzas that they make? And this person said, I haven't been there yet. <laughs> and I said, this place has been around for 20, 30 years. You, all you have to say is I haven't been there. You don't say yet. When you say I haven't been there yet, you're implying like it's a new place that you just haven't gotten to because it's you haven't been there, been in Chicago for the last month or something. Right. There's it's no like, reason to use the word yet in that. Have context. you seen Evil Dead Two yet? Right. You would yes. never say that. You just say I've well, never unless, seen Evil Dead Two unless he planned on going to see Evil Dead oh, Two. Oh, so you're agreeing with him that like the yet is okay even if it's a twenty or thirty or forty year old movie or pizza place. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I just, think I am. You know, this implied. is a conversation from high, high, high infidelity, right? It's Not implied. In high fidelity, right? No, but it could be. It is. And this episode is going to start with it. <laughs> he heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend. Speaking of... That, that is high infidelity, yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the best opening lines of a song ever. That's great. Does it open the record or just a song? No, it opens the song. Okay. Heard it from a friend... Who heard it from a friend? Who heard it from another? You've been messing around. Now, if Bob Dylan sang that, people would be like, "Fuck yeah, that's such a great line." But because Kevin Cronin sang it, they're like, "Eh." Your thoughts, Gabe? No, me- oh, Gabe, Kevin Cronin yeah, does not get the respect he deserves. You're right. But <laughs> okay. That afro gives him a couple notches below. You know that hair has got to go. Bob Dylan had an afro. Not like that. <clears throat> I'm from the school of thought that that heard it through the grapevine says all you need to say about that whole fucking topic and those words like all Kevin Cronin is doing is belaboring the obvious. Well, Gary Richrath actually wrote the song, but well, whoever, but what, fuck. what is the line that heard it through a grapevine? Not what line that heard it through a grapevine is better. Well, what's the just the line. line? I heard it what's through the, the grapevine. Op- Not much longer. Would you be mine is like a shorter version of saying, I heard it from a friend who heard it from. A friend. I mean, I See, guess it's cute. It's a cute little thing that they do in Oreo Speed. Heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another you've been messing around. I mean, but that is the grapevine. grapevine. That is is a literal description of the grapevine. That's the grapevine, but stretched out to like three times as many words. It's, I think, is more clever. 
Heard of the Grapevine? Not much longer would you be mine. It's first of all, it's kind of clunky. Uh, second oh, really? of all, there's, there's nothing really that poetic about it. It's just like, I heard it through the grapevine. I mean, people say that all the time. People don't walk around and go, heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another. You've been messing around. I mean, that, my friend, <laughs> is a good opening line. I do see your point that if Dylan sang it, it would sound cooler. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying it would sound cooler. I'm I saying, do, people, I'm saying would, people would be of the opinion that it's, you know, since it came out of God's mouth, it's, it's a much better line than it actually is. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not what I mean. It's, it is a great line. It doesn't matter who utters it. People just, you know, they need, they need to be spoon-fed, man. Is that the best REO Speedwagon lyric, period? No, the, one, the best one is all coiled up and hissing. I was just about to say that. <laughs> See, I knew I beat you to the punch. I knew <laughs> it was coming out of your mouth. Instead, you lay, and instead you laid still in the grass, all coiled up and hissing. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I couldn't get the whole line out, but I knew the coiled up and hissing. What about the line from uh, Tough Guys? They think they're full of fire. Wait, no, okay, I'll, I'll do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. She doesn't like the tough guys. She says that they've got brains all where they sit. They think they're full of fire. She thinks they're full of shit. That's in the song. I never knew that they swore on on that record. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was a tough. It was a tough record, you know, back in the day. Didn't Ario Speedwagon famously get away with some swear words on FM radio? Because I don't know why. I don't know. I think there's another instance where they're saying shit, but it it never got censored. Hmm. I don't know. Let me, but I do let me know that, that. The, the middle part of 157 Riverside Avenue is one of the finest live uh, pieces of business you could ever hear. That whole bit where he's at home and then his guitar player, Gary, calls up on the telephone and he starts talking to him with his guitar. And then he's like, you got to speak to people using their own language. So he starts, you know scatting back and forth and goes back and forth and back and forth. You know this part, right, Gabe? No, I think he went over my head as soon as you started talking about Gary, the guitar player, talking about the guitar. I don't remember this part. Is this on High Infidelity? No, it's it's on uh, the live record. Uh, uh, you get what you play for. A good not, you, a good you, title, not as good as you can tune a piano, but you can't yeah, tune I was a just fish. about to say you can tune a piano. You're stealing my lines after I stole your lines. <laughs> Ben's sitting there like, can we please change the subject? No, I was doing some REO Speedwagon research. I didn't get anywhere. That is, they have some good live stuff. Riding the Storm out the live version, pretty good. My friends, I have time for one more story tonight. If you're ever in those Colorado, Colorado, I can't do it. <laughs> if you're in those Rocky Mountains, keep, always remember to keep everybody together, keep everybody warm, and always remember to ride the storm out or something like that. that that's not what it is. I thought it was the last song, people. That, well, then he start playing. He goes, last song, people. Okay. You got to say last song, people, before you introduce the song, not after you introduce the song. Now, you introduce the song, and then the band starts playing the song, and then you say, last song, people. Here we go. And then he sings. Now, now that's one thing I noticed. Storm out. Listen to this now. That's one thing I noticed about you is you don't introduce a lot of your songs with any kind of stories very much. You don't do that. No. You don't believe in it? No. 
I think it's stupid. And uh, you know, also uh, this next song is called. Listen, if you start playing it, people were most people that are at the show are going to know what it is. Can we can we dispense with the niceties and just no, fucking play but, the song? <clears throat> no, but you, if you start a story that nobody knows that you're talking about this song until you get to the, the punchline and then play the song, that's that's where it's at. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty you know, good. But but usually what ha- has to happen is those people have to rehearse those speeches. Um, and I'm not rehearsing any speech. It's not going to happen. Uh, but the last band I saw do that was uh, Run the Jewels. And before every song, they had like this long intro. And then and then at the end of it, like it was a joke, they'd say the name of the song they were going to play and the whole place would go batshit. So maybe it is a good idea. It's it's something that I noticed from a lot of my hardcore bands growing up. They would do. They would start a story and then use a couple lines in the song and then play the song. Yeah. And that would be the intro. Yeah, but I mean... We would, we would, uh, we would break down in gales of laughter when people would do that. <laughs> Watch some old videos of Inside Out, Zach's old band before he did Rage, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know, I know. I've seen. Uh, he was still doing that when they started Rage. Yeah, and yeah. they didn't like it then. They didn't like it then either. <laughs> Then people say, shut the hell up and play us some songs, you know? Come on, yeah, well, I, I agree. <laughs> I really agree. You're from the school of less talk, more rock. More paw, less jaw. <laughs> uh, have you had a chance to see any of your Metro footage yet? No. Mm-hmm. What's the most elaborate Christmas card you guys get from people? I got this fucking thing. It's like a trifold... Full color, six panel fucking thing. It's like an R.R. Donnelly print. I work for R.R. Donnelly. I know, that's why I said it. <laughs> Wait, you work for Origami? Yes. She's a nice guitar player. For, used to play for Michael Jackson. What are you talking about? What was her name? Orathami? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. The, the blonde chick that played guitar with Michael Jackson. That's her name? Origami? What? Wait, the Something one who like... then had her own career? Yeah. She had a hip. It's not. Her name wasn't anything like that. Oh, yes, it was. I'm going to look it up. She was Australian, right? Orienti. Yeah, that's not Orienti. Orienti. It's close enough. It's not. Who was that uh, uh, black woman? Was she a bass player with Bowie? Yeah. Uh, the one who was like Bald. on... Michelle Soupy Sales Kids. Nichelle Naja. Is that who that was? Nichelle not going to work here anymore. So, this Sunday, it's the 18th annual Katie's Kids Toy Drive thing at Liars. We've been doing this for 18 years. You've done it every year? I think I have. Like, I used to DJ it and then. Uh, Jake from Stiff Little Fingers started playing and he was playing with you know the Haggerty Brothers backing him up and Mark DeRosa and then it became this thing where we would just get together and play a bunch of covers and and that's what we're doing again this year uh, and and then each year Herb gets up and puts on his Robert Plant wig and we do uh, a Herbert Plant song <laughs> last year we did a uh, 
gallows pole where I had to learn how to play the the mandolin part, which was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. Like, John Paul Jones is an amazing, amazing musician, but he's a fucking shit-hot mandolin player. Or Better else I'm just Peter a really Buck? bad mandolin player. Oh, yeah. Like, he was coming up with this... The mandolin stuff that he comes up with is crazy. He's better than Peter Buck? Oh, he makes Peter <laughs> Buck look like Peter Buck. But it's going to be live at Liar's Club, too. People can show up at the door and get firsthand. Right. So last year, it was just... Um, it was just... Like, virtual. Virtual, right? Did you guys watch it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But this year, it's going to be virtual and live. I, w- I would recommend the live. Um, so, yeah, but you can donate at Katie's, KT's Kids. It's Katie's Kids, but it's written as KT's Kids, but it's Katie. Uh, you can donate there at katieskids.com. Um, then, like, next Wednesday, we have this party for the kids of the hospital. I'm not sure what we're going to do. Last year, we couldn't do it because of COVID. I, I don't know what's going to happen this year. And We've got a big toy closet, and we somebody dresses up as Santa Claus, and oh, Gabe, there's pizza everywhere. Just <laughs> pizza after pizza after pizza. Yeah. That's oh, amazing. But, and they're going to stream it at the Liars Club YouTube page. Stream it on Liars Yeah. Wow, you really... You're, you're up I'm to doing date my on homework. this stuff. You did your I'm homework. I'm on top of my game today. Look at this guy. Like a Liars producer. Club. Look at He's the got that YouTube. bag staring at him. He, that fucking bag's going to jump out of its place and bite him <laughs> in the head if he doesn't get his shit right. No, I, and it's... it's uh, you <laughs> can stream bag it. bag is like Chucky. I mean, people come on here and they look at that bag and like, what is going on back there? But yes, you can stream it, watch it live, watch Scott, Ryan, Herb... Some of the Chicago rockers, you know, Michael Connell's going to be there, maybe. Michael Connell will be there. You got Johnny and Joey Haggerty from Peg Boy. You got uh, Jake Burns from Stiff Little Fingers. You got Mark DeRosa from Dummy. Uh, you got this Dummy. Um, there's going to be. So, Chicago All Stars. Yeah. Angela E., there's a burlesque thing going on. Uh, there'll be another band, the What Four. Um, a lot of stuff going on, uh, and, and it's it's awesome. And and every year, and and we ought to get Katie on here one of these days. And um, it's just, you know, it's a good time, and and it's a good thing. It's certainly the best thing that uh, us group of knuckleheads do all year. Um, so it's a good thing to be involved with, and it's coming up this this Sunday. Couple of days. Is it seven o'clock central? Is that when it's going? What? Why don't you just tell me? I'm what, looking. I don't know exactly you, what time. Why don't you just tell me all the information? <laughs> I'm trying to look it up. There's a there's a stream countdown on the Liars Club YouTube page, but now I can't find it for sure. The countdown's up already. Yeah. Well, we I did a thing it. last year where where we had it, so it was like a a, a, a Jerry Lewis telethon type of thing. Where's Jerry Lewis when you need the man? Uh, Not going to get far with those lyrics. Yeah, but uh, I'm thinking this this year will be more like a Dick Clark's Rack and Eve, where or or it'll be like you know, Rack and Eve, like Rackin' Rack and Eve, Rack and Eve. Oh, it wasn't Rack and Eve. I think no. thinking this year it'll be more like you know that or like you know Ben hanging out at uh, the <laughs> Shank Hall. 
Uh, 18th, 18th annual Katie's Kids Toy Drive Fundraiser, Sunday, December 12th, 7 p.m. That's Central Time at Liars Club and online at the Liars Club Chicago YouTube page. Yes. So, so donate. Um, I don't know if you can, if you go live, you can get some raffle tickets. There's raffles going on. Uh, I think Justine will be giving, selling raffle tickets. You no one's like giving away raffle sausage, tickets. Meat raffle. Blood sausage meat raffle. It's a good record. Mm-hmm. One of their best. Yeah. Hey. Hey, everybody. It's Kelly Scott. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Cool. I'm using one of those uh, blue balls. Always. So how'd it go uh, with Priscilla at the eye doctor today? Um, good. Actually, she checked out all a a okay. She's going to be able to see. Yeah, yeah. There will be one person in our family that doesn't have to wear glasses. How long have you been wearing glasses? Oh, like eight years now. So, so that stuff you smoked hasn't been helping it or anything like that. No, you'd think. <laughs> I even got the like improve your eye like Accu uh, additive, and now that Accu no. vape. Yeah, AccuVape. <laughs> I'm actually getting fitted or to see whether I'm a candidate for uh, contacts uh, in like three weeks. Beginning Have you of ever had contacts before? No. Man, it's a game changer. But Yeah, uh, I've always worn these and I'm kind of getting a little tired of just having shit on my face all the time. Yeah. You might have to get readers. I mean, that's what I had to do. So yeah. like in order to see up close... You might yeah. be fucked in that sense, but other than that, it's been it's been great. You know, cool. So you except, wear them? Yeah, except I, I, yeah, I wear contacts now. Except I can see people in the audience. Uh -huh. I can see the looks mm -hmm. on their face when they start getting bored. I'm just yeah. like, Ugh. yeah, that's so, never cool. So no, no. So no. failure. New album out. New album out. Hooray! Came yeah. out last Friday. Yeah. You feel good about uh, it. Seems like people are really digging it. We've gotten some good press and. All the fans are going crazy about it. We've already got people learning it and making little guitar videos and stuff. Well, are you learning it? Because not it, yet. It was all cobbled together from jams, right? Uh, well, yes and no. Um, we we did these sessions last year, kind of during the height of the pandemic, where yeah, we just jammed. Um, but four or five of the drum takes from those sessions were kept. Mm -hmm. And they just did some overdubs over top, like cleaned up the music and added vocals and stuff to it. Right. Uh, but then the other five songs were done at Grohl's place and they were already mostly complete demos. Um, so, I mean, I already kind of know most of it. The only stuff I don't know is the stuff from the jams. Right. I so, obviously had to do a lot of pre-production before we went into Grohl's and actually recorded those drum takes. And I mean, the last record was a lot like that too. The last record was completely different where Ken and Greg wrote demos. And then when they were done with four to five songs, they would give them to me and I would do my pre-production and then we would record the drums and release it. Yeah. And then move on to the next batch. So it was kind of like that over a six month period. Oh, right. You were releasing EPs and stuff yeah. like that. So that one especially, I had to go back and learn everything. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it, I was listening to this record the other day on the way to practice, and I was like, you know, I'm not getting this thing. You know, like, what's wrong with me? So I stopped uh-huh. it around Mercury Mouth, you know, and then I uh-huh. went to go, go practice. So anyway, I leave the practice space, and I put it back on, and it's on side two, and the sun is down, and then I'm like, oh, side two is so much better. And then the last song plays, and I just let it roll from the beginning, and play it again, and the songs I didn't get before... I totally got this time and suddenly the whole record clicks for me and I'm like oh it's not like the hooks weren't there or that I didn't hear the hooks it's just that that I had to get off my wavelength on your wavelength you know what I mean like like yeah it's like once the record started again and like those last songs that got in my head everything else about the record made made sense to me and And it's I mean it's it's different it's a different record but it it it, it sounds it has just the same like sensibilities because right. that's our musical language. It's right. it's like when you go to your twenty fifth high school reunion, and you see that kid's face and you remember it from when you were sixteen, but everything else about him has changed into an adult, mm-hmm. and you're like, mm, I know I know this face, I can't place it, but it's that guy. Well, I mean, it, it just seemed to, seemed to me what was happening was like you had this wavelength and I wasn't on it and I had to rearrange my brain to receive the signals from this record. I know how this fucking sounds, but, uh, it was, it was, it was real. I was, I was kind of like, fuck, like, you know, the, the songs on side one that I didn't get suddenly I totally got. And so well done. Well done. That could be age too. You might want to have that looked at. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> So how old were you when you started playing drums? Uh, semi-professionally, I was probably about six. What? I had broken all the tennis rackets so I could no longer jam to Kiss Records with a tennis racket, and I picked up Lincoln Logs. Okay. Uh, then my So you started parents, on guitar. I started then, on then guitar. Then you went to drums. <laughs> and singing. And then I, by default, moved right, to drums. Right, right. Um I got my first drum set Christmas uh, when I was 12. Okay. Um, and that, I mean, that was it. Like that's, I stopped playing sports. I stopped pretty much doing everything. School, right. home to play. School, home to play. That's and your favorite drummer was Peter Chris, or who were your favorite drummers? Nah, by that point I had moved well beyond Peter Chris. Um, I think, you know, my, my older brother was probably my musical director during the first couple years and that sort of went like hey here's highway to hell Mm -hmm. and you know obviously that taught me how to play the basics um and i kept hearing about this john bonham guy um but the next record he gave me was uh all the world's a stage rush (laughs) which is kind of when you put those two together it's like being really musical and being really solid and I still spent my career trying to find a place in between the two. Right. Because to me, I mean, they're both equally important. Yeah. Yeah. What about Ringo? Have you been watching the, uh, the yeah. Beatles thing? Uh, Ringo is the shit. Fucking. Like, I mean, he single-handedly invented a new style of playing that can't be duplicated. It's, it's like... Uh, he never just plays a beat. Like no. every one of his roles are like just what the fuck. And he's always prepared and he's always on and he's got this like musical style where he's like 
falling down a flight of stairs. Yes. You know? Yes. It, it can be, I mean, you can kind of fake it. You know, there are always those moments where you're working with someone and they're like, hey, do a Ringo thing there. You know, and you kind of fake your way through it. But, like, that's his musical language. Yeah. Like, that's all he does. That's, that's how he hears music, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, and watching Paul and John get on the drums and try to do their version of Ringo and totally failing at it. Yeah. You know, nothing pisses me off more than that 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 line, which which was funny when they said it, but when they go, Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. It's like, yes, he is. Fuckhead. Yeah. He's the only drummer in the Beatles. Yeah. So any bands that you're playing in in high school? Um, I had, my first band was called uh, Eden. Okay. It was really cool. I had fitting. The the uh, I had an uncle that was a graphic artist, and he made this logo kick drum <laughs> that was like far more talented than any of us in the band. Right. That was kind of like the centerpiece of the band. And how old were you when that? When uh, I was probably God. I would think about maybe going on thirteen, like okay. soon after I started playing. Where'd you grow up? Uh. A little bit of everywhere, but by this point, I was living in Orlando, Florida. Okay. My dad was on submarines. What? Yeah, my dad was on subs. Navy. So I, I was born in San Diego, lived in Virginia Beach, lived in Annapolis, uh, lived in Groton, Connecticut, uh, lived in South Carolina, Florida. Navy yeah. brat. Yeah, moved a lot. Yeah. So when did you come back to California and just stay in California? I moved to California a week out of high school, 1987. Okay. To become a big rock star. Right. Yeah. And that was always the plan. That was the only plan. <laughs> I, I worked at uh, Robinson selling women's shoes my high school year, saved money, got in a car, came out to L.A. So you're selling women's shoes... Yeah, I was really good at it. You want to be a rock star. That was just a means to an end. Yeah. Sounds like it. It was was a really good job. I made some good money. It's like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie to me. Yeah. Maybe. It gets worse. It gets worse? It gets a lot worse once I got out here. (laughs) How? A lot worse. How? Um, Well, I, I found myself hanging out with a nefarious crowd. Which I, I kind of use the extra benefits from being in proximity to that type of crowd mm-hmm. to drive over the hill and meet people that played music. Like that was kind of my opening line. I was the guy with like, can I say it? Yeah, please Coke. be more specific. Coke. I was delivering Coke for like one of the biggest dealers in the Valley in okay. the 80s. <laughs> Good. Um, and at night I would have Coke and I would come over to LA and hang out, you know, like the Rainbow and the Sunset Strip. Um, and that's how I met people. Right. So this is in the eighties. You've got yeah. Coke. You're, yeah. you are the man. Kind of. I thought I was the man. I yeah, was just the guy exactly. with Coke. I was only the guy with Coke. So how did you get out of that? that? Um, I started playing music professionally. I met people, got serious, got in bands, started, you know, making records, playing gigs, moved over to Hollywood. Uh-huh. Who were you playing um, with? Yeah. You know, it was a means to an end. Right. Good. Um, so you, I came here to play you're like Jay Z, do coke. You yeah. like Jay Z, kind of. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the band was Liquid Jesus. All right. Now I've heard of Liquid Jesus. Yeah. Yes. We we uh, made a couple records in like late '80s, early '90s. Triple X Live record, two MCA records. 
Um, and shortly after that band, uh, I would have joined Failure. Oh, really? So yeah. out of Liquid Jesus, you went into Failure? Well, now out of Liquid Jesus, I went into a local rival band called Dumpster. Uh-huh. Um, who was, we were, you know, kind of like the hot shit around here. Um, but drugs was involved in the band. It kind of blew up as quickly as it rose to infamy. Right. When did you meet Troy? Uh, I had already known Troy. I met Troy in Liquid Jesus. Okay. Um, we were really good friends. Um, and Troy and I also had another band with another friend of ours uh, called 60 Cycle Hum. That's right. Um, so when after we finished Fantastic Planet and we needed a guitar player, I was hanging out with Troy all the time. was like, I mean, this is a no-brainer. And right. he actually already knows the songs. Right. <laughs> right. Troy knows all the um, songs. Yeah. Well, the original second guitar player was Paul Damore. I didn't know you guys had a second guitar player before Troy joined. Well, we didn't. But then uh, we decided to investigate the idea. And Paul Damore, because we were making the Lusk record, uh, and then soon after the Replicants record, Paul was around. So he came in as second guitar player. Oh. That Replicants um, record is so good. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice if they made another one. It'd be nice if they reissued it so I could... Or even reissued that. I, I stepped yeah. on my CD years ago. Yeah. And uh, I haven't listened to it in a while other than like on YouTube. Is it not on iTunes? I don't think it is. Maybe I'm wrong. It may not be. No. No, no. That cinnamon girl cover no. is great, and that no. dirty work cover. So much. So you know, it, it's there. funny because the Lusk record came out around that time, and that essentially doesn't exist either. Yeah. Well, it almost seems like the people that put these records out don't give a shit. Why would they? Why would they? So, how did you get into failure? So you. Um. So I was playing in a bunch of local bands. Um. And I've always been a band guy. Like I, I never really wholeheartedly chased after the wanting to be a session dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm playing in all these bands, looking for the band, like my quintessential Led Zeppelin, just yeah. the band that all the boxes click. Um, and like six months into this, just running myself ragged, like playing sometimes three, four or five times a day with different bands, constantly gigging and running around. I get home and there are like four messages on my analog uh, answering machine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one from Tom Morello, one from Ken, mm-hmm. one from Failures Management and Tom Morello's management. They shared <laughs> managers at the same time. Um, and one from maybe Pete Stahl. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pete had a band called Wool. Right. It was one of the bands that I was uh, doing the dance with. Yeah. And he and Ken were talking, and they were kind of giving each other drummers back and forth. Right. In hopes of, you know, finding the drummer they were looking for. Yeah. And Pete had been one of the other people that passed my name to Ken. And then- um and so Tom I, was trying to get you into rage? Tom, no. Tom and I used to share a rehearsal room. We'd known each other forever. He actually used to rent movies from me okay. in L.A. when I had a quick job at a Music Plus. Oh, nice. Um, so Tom and I kind of had already gone way back before then mm-hmm. uh, to the original band I was in in L.A. and his original band, Laka. 
right. uh, who was a Geffen band that just kind of exploded yeah. um, or imploded. Right. Um, but no, Tom was passing my name onto his management and, and onto the failure guys. Okay. So as was, someone that they should check out. Okay. So it was between, at that point, it was between failure and wool. Uh, no. Not Wool, really, but... Wool didn't feel like it was in the cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think they were that interested in me, and I wasn't that interested in them. It was kind of like, you know, well, let's do this until we find the thing we're looking for. So you're playing with a bunch of bands, so it, it almost yeah, sounds like you a are a session guy, but like a live session But not guy, getting a paid. A gigging type, yeah, right. But not getting paid. I'm right. paying for free for a lot of local bands. But you're learning a lot. I'm definitely learning a lot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, just out of nowhere, all these messages show up on my machine the same day. Um, and I give them a call. Uh, I had heard the name failure. Uh, I kind of remember seeing posters around town for gigs, um, mm-hmm. but I had never actually like heard failure. Okay. Uh, so talked to Ken, we set up an audition for the following week. Um, Talked to their A&R guy, got on my little bicycle, rode down and picked up the uh, little cassette sampler. Uh-huh. It had like the first three songs on Magnified. Right. Um, and then just put it on a shelf and went back to my craziness. And the day of the audition, I completely spaced out. Uh, Ken which is, called Which me. is good because it's space rock. Kinda. Kinda. Ken, Ken called me not as amused as you are <laughs> he uh, never he was, is he, was, he, he never he is actually, as amused as i am he was, he was pretty pissed off yeah uh rightfully so i mean they you know paid for a rehearsal room and set this audition up and i was just mia um oh so you didn't show up no oh. i forgot about it i, I <laughs> actually never even listened to the cassette uh-huh like i just completely forgot about it Oh, because God. I was just so, you know, spun out with everything I was doing. Right. Uh, and that was before calendars, so I wasn't, like, scheduling or writing myself notes or anything. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm supposed I, to be I, somewhere today. Hmm, where could didn't be? even think of that. That yeah. never even dawned on me. I was <laughs> literally going about my life as if it didn't even exist. Uh, but he called me and, you know, gave me a peace of mind. Um, and... I was like, all right, well, you know, sorry. Yeah, I fucked up. I totally spaced out. How about we do it next week? And, you know, he started going into all the reasons he couldn't do it. He was getting ready to leave uh, over to Europe to visit his then girlfriend. Um, And I was just, hey, let's just do it with the bass player. And he was kind of like, you can do that? Hmm. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, if the bass player and the drummer don't play good together, then, you know, it's not really going to work. Right. Um, so flash forward, I open up the cassette, I listen to it, and my fucking jaw hit the ground. Yeah. Um, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I finally found what I'm looking for, and I just blew it. Right. Um, it sucked. It was a horrible feeling. Yeah. Um. But I brushed it off. I learned the material, went out to the uh, audition, and Greg and I like literally played through each song, killed it. I think we played through part of another one, um, and then went and called Ken, said I was the guy. 
So Ken wasn't even there. Ken's in Europe. No, Ken was in Wales. Okay. He was in Wales at the time. So we called oh. Wales, and uh, I got the gig. And nice. Then we went on tour for like eight months with Tool, like four weeks later. So was that in the middle of them recording the second record? Uh, no, they were already done with Magnified. Oh, they were? Okay. They were just putting the packaging together. So I kind of snuck in a, snuck in a special thanks in right. packaging. So your yeah. first record is Fantastic Planet. But I didn't Planet. actually play on that record. Your first one's Fantastic Planet. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So what studio did you guys go in to do Fantastic Planet at? Uh, we actually talked Slash Records into giving us, I think, three quarters of the budget, like 75 mm -hmm. grand. Um, and we went and bought a recording package, uh, mm -hmm. a Dats and a Mackie and, uh, you know, a couple cool mics, nothing too fancy. Um, and we moved it into a rehearsal studio to kind of start demoing and jamming kind of like mm -hmm. we still do. Right. And recording those sessions, coming up with the skeletons of songs. Uh, meanwhile, Ken was learning how to use the gear. Um, and somewhere in there, our friends from the band Medicine knew we were looking for a place to record. And they had just been working up at Lita Ford's house. Oh, yeah. Uh, mixing a record. Right. Um, so we got a hold of Lita Ford, and she was like, yeah, I don't live there. The house is available if you want to rent it. So we rented it for six months and moved all the gear in. Wow. And I went to the uh, local store, bought some plywood to sort of block things off and soundproof it a little bit but essentially it was recorded in a house in lita ford's house yeah how we wound up with the record we wound up as insane i mean but that was the record you know that was yeah that was that was what the band had been working towards well and it, it was also what we thought in the middle of the recording process was going to be our last record really slash like decided to call it quits like right in the middle, we found out that everything had blown up. Okay, so it was just because you thought it was going to be the last record because of the label. It's not because you guys already saw no, the cracks no. going on in the band. Yeah. Because of the label. Right, right. Yeah. So then we toured with you guys in 97. Yeah. And, and Warner had picked the record up. Okay, so that's what happened. Yeah. Slash, uh, Warner distributed all of the Slash stuff in the States. See, I th always thought it was Slash Warner. I didn't yeah. realize that Warner had picked the thing yeah out. so they kind of in the interim i had this buddy that worked at rca and i would make like 40 cassette copies of the record mm -hmm. and then i would go out and distribute them to everybody i knew that worked in the business at night when we were in clubs um in hopes that someone would hear it and fix this problem that we were facing um i don't know if that's how warner got turned on to the record but they kind of came out in the 11th hour and just kind of plucked the record from slash and said cool now we're even what was stuck on you happening before they came on board or was no it, no that no. was all a product of their push all right they paid for that video like they helped us find a, a co-director in name for it uh, ken actually ken actually did that video yeah um yeah. they just weren't going to give ken you know a hundred grand to make a music video for his band <laughs> But, I mean, by that point, Ken, you know, was an accomplished film student. He had edited the earlier Tool videos. Like, he was no joke. And we already had a treatment that we'd written out for the video. 
He edited what tool videos? Uh, he edited Prison Sex. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And he also did a bunch of the really early hip hop videos for like Ice T. He did like a whole record of videos for Ice T, like 18 of them. No way. Yeah. That's what he was doing when he was in film school. He got this gig like working with uh, a bunch of really rad early hip hop artists. Wow. Making their yeah. videos. I had no idea. Yeah. So then in 97, you go on tour with us. Yeah. We go on tour together. And we had so much fun. And it, yeah, it changes your life. It's the best time of your life. Right? <laughs> yeah. We had so much fun. Remember that time we took over that radio station in what, like Connecticut or something? You know, every so often someone will tell, <laughs> talk, talk to me about that time. And it, it was in Hartford, right? Yeah. I mean, Hartford was crazy. Yeah. yeah. In the 90s. It was, and it, it was, was that weird gig with the round roof. Yeah. It's like a big long shed, like a military shed. What was the name of that place? Webster Gabe? Theater. Webster Theater. Yes. Or yeah. Webster Hall? Webster, no, Webster Theater. Webster Theater. Webster, Webster Hall is somewhere else. That's, That's right. In New York. York. Yeah. Those Webster Theater shows were crazy. Yeah. But we talked the radio guy into bringing us back to the station, right. all drunk, drinking Blue Label. Out of and then minds. we locked him out of his own studio and took over the airwaves. <laughs> Isn't there like, like, like an hour? Yeah, people will, will come up to me every couple of years and go, "Remember that?" And I was like, "Remember it?" Y yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was instruments in there and stuff. I mean, we, we were like playing "Highway to Hell" and and, yeah. and shit like that. I think I was probably like playing on my legs or something. I don't know. But yeah, you had an acoustic. I don't know how that happened. We uh, so it was our idea. It wasn't his idea. Oh no, it was our. Well, it may have been his idea, but we took it a step further. Oh my god, such assholes! Yeah. Did you lock him out of the room or something? Just take yeah. over? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He couldn't stop us. The FCC and then he started is banging. To see, yeah, then he started to see his job flashing before his eyes. <laughs> the FCC is calling. Who the hell is in there? What was that? Was that like one hundred four point three or something like that? The station, I don't remember. Yeah. I get confused with all the numbers, and they use the same numbers in different cities. And that was yeah, that, was, uh, that tour was one for the ages. That was all right. Uh, yeah. and, and the swap was on that tour. Yeah. We were talking to uh, Troy on here, and, and um, it's like, and the swap won. They were the opening band on that tour, but when you look at it... <laughs> Those guys won. Yeah. You know, like Rusty is playing with uh, Paul McCartney. Mm -hmm. and, and you look at everybody that Carla plays with. You know, they're writing hit songs. Scott torn. Nam, like Scott owns like a mega publishing complex now. Yeah. He's yeah. doing very well for himself <laughs> as a business person. They completely won the race. I actually wound up playing on their next record. On the Edna Swap record? Mm-hmm. Carla left? Uh, I guess you could put it that way. I think it was a little <laughs> bit more dramatic than that. Oh, my God. But, yeah. Well, so you guys are breaking up around then, too. Shortly after, yeah. Yeah. How'd that happen? Why'd that I happen? How, I got Edna Swap and Greg got Carla. <laughs> um... The breakup was kind of weird. Ken and I knew it was coming. Like we mm. had talked about just things 
were out of control. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when there's only three of you in the band, things will absolutely not function if one person is not present. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that being a catalyst, but also there was a lot of acrimony between all the hard work we had put in and it was just time after time, things just kept falling apart. Um, disappointment after disappointment. So there was a lot of grief, I think for everybody with just the music business and like, what the hell do we have to do to sell records? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think at that point we had probably only sold maybe 10,000 records, all three combined. Hmm. Um, and you know, Ken and Greg's relationship definitely had deteriorated quite a bit. Um, there was a lot of acrimony there, Yeah, but you know, on those last tours, like, the wheels had fallen off and we just, you know, dragged ourselves through it. Yeah. So there was definitely a plan. Like after we do these Lollapalooza dates, that's the end of it. Did you enjoy the Lollapalooza dates or was it just, just loved it. Oh, you did. Okay. Oh man. So much fun. It wasn't just like that. You had the dagger hanging over your head. And so everything was miserable. Given everything that was going on, like I always enjoy everything. Yeah. You know, I can compartmentalize. Right. It's like, okay, so this is falling apart. You know, if this is the last dying breath, I'm going to have the best time I possibly can. Yeah. And and move on. I mean, what else can you do? No, you've always been that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was kind of like that. Like, we got home. Uh, I was, I think, just kind of hanging out, and the phone rang, and Ken was like, all right. I'm going to do this. Really? Just pull the plug? Yeah. So what'd you say to that? All right, cool. And I joined Blinker the Star a couple weeks later and started immediately transitioned into, you know, making another record and joining another band. Right. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with loss, especially of that magnitude. Like I couldn't articulate like how just, fucked up i felt inside yep you know and i certainly didn't have the tools to deal with any of that so it was just on to the next thing forget about it so when did you start playing with vanilla ice uh i did that in between uh when did i do that so when we when blinker the star we did a record for a&m and then a&m went under and dreamworks picked up that record right so there was about an eight month period in there where they were working out all the logistics and contracts and a friend Dreamer, of mine, dreamers was really hot on that record. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they were hot because they were probably under the pressure that they were going to be able to sort of put forth this, uh, we love artists vibe. Mm. Yeah. While at the same time, maybe being lucky enough to strike a hit. Yeah. Um, that obviously didn't work out. And our experience with them on the next record would prove to be the polar opposite, um, which is probably another podcast. Yeah. Um, Vanilla Ice was while we were waiting for all that stuff to work its stuff out. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was in like the six month period where we were going from A&M to DreamWorks. 
Yeah, DreamWorks would tend to drag their feet on a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. what happened with cupcakes in Chicago, and, and, and we we fucked around with DreamWorks for for quite a while too. No, I mean everybody did. Yeah, it was like the new light in the you know just all the crazy horrible record company bullshit. After the DreamWorks thing, where you just like this is fucking bullshit. No, I mean. <laughs> You know, you know what we do. Like we're constantly convincing ourselves that, you know, it didn't work out this time, but next time it's going to be different. Right. You know, you have to, you have yeah. to, to keep like doing this for, I mean, I'm going on like 37 years. Yeah. I mean, well, that sounds like, that sounds like addict talk. That sounds like, you know, a gambler talk. I mean, yeah. at what point do we tell ourselves like, this is nonsense. You know, you don't, or at least I don't. Yeah. I mean, there's just something. I've done tons of other, like, working and being good at stuff and making money. And, like, I'm smart. I can get a job. Um, and there are plenty of things out there that I can, you know, find passion for and do well. But none of them have that thing that you feel, that largeness of, like, life. And, and matter when you're playing music. Mm -hmm. Like whether it's one people, 10 people, alone in a room by yourself, like it doesn't matter where you're doing it. When you create something out of thin air and then go and perform it and give every ounce of whatever you have just that night to perform it to the best of your ability, like nothing else compares to that. Right, right. I mean, do you get like bent out of shape when you feel like you don't measure up? you know, or, or, or to or my you, own expectations. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't, I'm not into like self harm. Like mm -hmm. I do it to a point. I scold myself, you know, and I certainly make it clear to myself that I could have done that a lot better. Um, but beyond that point, you know, there's nothing you can do. Show up next time and do a better fucking job. Have you always been that way or you just, yeah, was, really? Yeah. Yeah. You've always been like, oh, fuck it, I'll get them next time. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's gone. It's the past. <laughs> right, like, right, right. You're not going to change it by, yeah. you know, beating yourself up and demoralizing yourself. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know, but it's you, you sit in the feeling of how horrible it is to drop the ball. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you feel the weight of that. And, you know, it sucks. Like, just make sure to not find yourself in that place next time. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's completely you can have a bad night and it's it's not in your control. Right. You know, you can only do the best you can do. Sometimes then, you're having a good night and you think you're having a bad night. Yeah. Sometimes you think you're having a bad night and it's like one of your best nights. Yeah. You know, but it's not until you go back and actually watch or listen to it that you realize that. Yeah, yeah. I've had many of those like really sick and playing you know, because you feel so bad, you have to try even harder to get through it. And those are actually some of the best shows. Oh, absolutely. So let's go back to Van Vanilla Ice. So you're yeah. out with Van with uh, the Iceman for six Rob months. Rob Van Winkle. Rob Van you were That's out what with I Robbie? Called him. Yeah. I called him Rob. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So you're out yeah. with him for six months. Uh -huh. I saw you play here at House of Blues. Yeah. yeah. Good show, right? Yeah, good show. The band was great. Two bass players, two guitar players. 
Yeah, I remember you called me. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm in town tonight with Vanilla Ice. So it was like playing a house of blues. <laughs> I go, okay, uh, I gotta I'll be that. there, Yeah, <laughs> I suppose. Ice, ice, baby! Yeah. <laughs> What's up yes. with the two bass players? Are there other bands that have ever had Dude, two bass players? Dude, it was wicked! One guy played detune, like really mushy. The other guy did kind of like really high-end bass leady type of stuff with a wah pedal. You mean like the guy from fun. New Order? Sort of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly like New Order. It was the yeah. turn of the century, Ben. <laughs> and then you did Veruca Salt for a little bit? Uh first that uh you remember we hung out i flew out to chicago i did a couple songs with louise like right, right after they broke up yeah which became that resolver record right uh and then flash forward a couple years i ran into stephen fitzpatrick in a right. bar out here he was drunk i was sober right um it was about probably a year year and a half into my sobriety it's like 2005 ish yeah um and he was you know we were chewing the fat and shooting the shit and hey man you know we hadn't seen each other in a while uh and he kind of broached hey we need a drummer and i was like mm, i don't know i mean i haven't i've given up on the like playing music stuff for the past couple of years really um yeah well because i had just gotten sober and i stopped playing music altogether right um, I needed to separate who I am from what I do, um, hmm. because up until that point, I thought they were the same thing. Um, okay. so I quit so playing music. Um, I, well, it started with getting sober, mm -hmm. uh, and it just, uh, not being too terrified to try other things. Um, you know, I was a maid for a while, uh, which I didn't necessarily like. But I was, like, the best maid on the West Coast. Like, mm -hmm. it taught me how to take pride in anything and everything I do. Um, right. And, you know, I made money doing it mm -hmm. and got to pay bills and, you know, take care of myself, which previously I'd never really been able to do while playing music for a living. Yeah. Um, you know, so it taught me a lot. I, getting normal, I, I needed to become a normal person. You know, I got a gig here, dressing like Gucci store windows for a while. Um, got another job, like I was selling snare drums, buy them off of eBay, sell them to private people. Uh -huh, right. Did that for a while. Ran recovery homes for like six years. Yeah. Um, so kind of anything I could get my hands on, saying yes. I did telemarketing for a little while. And within like two weeks, I was the best telemarketer there was. See, now you've lost me. There is no, there is well, nothing that you can say that is going to make telemarketing. I've done telemarketing before. Well, I've, I've got, for me, when I was getting sober, like I was so broken down and ready to say yes to anything. Because mm -hmm. I knew that was part of my problem. Right. Um, and it's, eh, I'm not going to do that because it's going to work out this way. Or, eh, I'm too good for that. Or whatever excuse you use to sound cool to cover up for the fact that you're really afraid. Right. Um, or you don't want to be seen as giving up on, you know, I'm this great musician. Mm -hmm. um, so telemarketing was one of the first ones because my whole life I would never do that job. Like I suffered being broke, not being able to pay bills just because I wouldn't take a job like that. I refused to. Um, so that was the first one I took. 
a friend of mine was like, hey, we got this telemarketing thing. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And within like literally two weeks, shit was flying off the shelves. I was selling toner to every bank of America across the country <laughs> all day long. You know, it was a total shoe and I was really good at it. But then at a certain point, I was like, all right. So I learned the lesson of, you know, put yourself out there and you're not too good to do anything. And the most important thing is to be able to take care of yourself. You're an adult now. Yeah. So I moved on and it was, you know, it was a little dishonest. It's like $40 toner for 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of. Wait, were you doing it, that thing where you'd call offices and say, "This is the printer company. You're out of. Give me the model number and." Even shit. better, toner phone. Once, once I sold a few packages of toner to a few Bank of Americas, I started to learn names, and I would call up. Sometimes I would get the name of the next place I was going to call from that person, or I would use that person's name with the next person I called. You know, I was just talking to so-and-so, and they said, you guys are yeah. probably low out there. Yeah. You know, and I tried to do it geographically, so they were semi-connected branches uh, and might at least know same of the pe- some of the mm-hmm. same people. Um, it was fantastic. Like, I was very proud of myself. <laughs> and I know they were very unhappy to see me go. I made them a fortune in the little time I worked there. Toner. I had a funny fake name too. No fucking way. You had a fake name? Yeah, you have to. Like Giles or something. So it's Giles, not Giles. No, Giles. Okay, so we've we've figured it out, guys. It's Giles Martin, not Giles Martin. Yeah. Yeah. So how did failure get back together? Hmm. I was working at SIR. What are you eating? Carrots? Uh no. Wieners? No, they're uh Potato. Sweet potato, Sweet potato fries. fries. Oh, yeah. nice. Called it. <laughs> right before we started this, I had to shoot some insulin, and I can kind of start to feel my sugar getting low now. Right. Pardon me. It's fine. It's uh, either this gave- or a coma. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> um, so failure. I'm almost done. Enough. <laughs> What's um, the dog's she wants name? to get petted. That's Callie. Callie? Yeah. And then... Uh, the one that's asleep is uh, Sammy. Callie and Sammy. Callie. Do you spell yeah. Callie with two L's and two I's? I do. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the closest thing I'm going to have to a child, so I had to go there. All right. That's it. That's your that's moment good. of pain. We talk about our dogs on the show all the time, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, so I'm working at SIR up in the drum department building some rock star's drum set that's blowing through town for a TV show or a gag or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, my phone rings. I'm in the middle of something. It's Ken Andrews, so I don't pick up. I'll call him back in a minute. Listen to the message, and he just says, hey, it's Ken. Call me back. So I call him back, and he's like, you know, pleasantries. Hey, how you doing? It's been a while. Up until that point, it was probably maybe two years since we had talked yeah um since actually charlotte his then wife was on tour with veruca Sol. so i return his call pleasantries and he starts to go into so i don't know if you heard but greg and i have been hanging out um <laughs> as friends like we both had children at the same time and those kids have grown up together 
And subsequently, we've become friends, and we're doing all these like family activities over the last couple of years. And Greg mentioned to me a couple months ago, like just kind of out of nowhere, hey, you want to get together and like write and work on some music? Not even a failure thing. And he's like, I was very surprised, but I said yes. And they were working on stuff. And at some point during doing that, they just both agreed that, you know, what are we doing here? Like, let's just do it. Right. Um, and that's when he decided to give me a call. And then, of course, he was like, so how do you feel about that? We've got a couple songs. Uh, we're going to have a couple more. Uh, you want to, I don't know, record an EP or, I don't know, maybe play a couple shows or we don't know what. Right. Uh, but there is some music and we, we'd be really into it if you'd come down and, you know, we could do this as a band. So did you have to think about it or were you just right away, fuck yeah? I right away said, fuck yeah. Um, and then I thought about it mm-hmm. and had a lot of competing emotions about, you know, the way the band broke up, all the past experiences. Uh, you know, I was just had come to terms with the fact that, you know, maybe this is never going to happen and I'm cool with that. Yeah. And then of course it comes right back in your life. And, um, is the music going to be any good? Yeah. You know, is this something we really need to do? Like, should we just leave it where it is? You know, um, a lot of competing things, um, which honestly, because of that, Ken sent me some of the demos and I'm listening to him and listening to him and listening to him. I couldn't tell whether it was any good or not. Oh yeah. Like I was just for, because of, I think all the competing emotions that were going on inside me, like I just couldn't discern for the first time and only time ever, like what this music was and whether it was any good. Yeah. I had no idea. (laughs) Um, But I still kind of went along with it. And I think it was probably about three weeks later, we found ourselves in the studio. So and the studio just, before shows. Yes. Yeah, it was at first it was only meant to be like maybe an EP. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we finished those recordings. We had an EP. We started to talk to like, you know, some of the other people, business people that we worked with. Um, and they were all very emphatic. Like, you're insane. Like, get back together, do a full record, do a full tour. Like, now would be a great time for that. Yeah. Like, don't meander and do this half of thing, whatever you're doing. Like, if you want me to help, you've got to go for it. Right. Um, so after a little bit of coaxing, I mean, that was pretty much the message from everyone. Uh, you know, call a booking agent. Let's book a couple dumb small shows. He's like, are you out of your mind? Like, get together and book a tour. <laughs> yeah. You know, call a manager. Are you out of your mind? I'm not helping you unless you become a band to do a full record. Right. Like, you know, you'd be insane to do this weird EP and two unannounced small gigs. Like, <laughs> like who even does that? That yeah. makes no sense. So, I mean, that's kind of how it happened. So we did that 2014 run um, and then came back and finished that record, that Heart is a Monster. Yeah. I mean, it's you guys are like Dinosaur Jr. You're one of the rare groups that make comeback records that people actually like and you know that you know they think are among your best i mean you guys are uh, it seems like you're more prolific now than you were before 
I think we were always prolific. I think we just broke up, so nobody like really realized it. Right. Um, well, I mean, when bands get back together, it is really easy for continue. us to make. Yeah, this seems like they don't continue at the clip that you guys are continuing at. We find it really easy to make records. There's never that moment where there's like a huge log jam and nobody has an idea about how to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, we start off with these jam things and just move through the process song by song. We've been fortunate, like from the word go, like the first time we got back together after 17 years, like we immediately just still had that thing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like not many bands hit the ground running like that, you know? Yeah. Have you played, have you played any shows since COVID? Uh, no, no, we, we had those, uh, the three shows in Chicago, New York and LA that we had to cancel last summer. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember, I thought I told you about it. We released that box set of the first three records. Yeah. So we were going to play three consecutive nights, an album a night. Right. In three cities. Yes. I do remember that. Yeah. That got canceled. And was that going to be at Metro or was that the Vic? No, it was at, uh, uh, what's that place called? It's, I had never heard of it before. It's been there forever, but they're just recently starting having shows. Oh, oh, I know. I know what it is. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's fuck. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, Talia Hall. Yes. Yes. Thalia Hall. There you go. Yeah. Good room. <laughs> Is it? I've never yeah. actually been there. Yeah. I saw Dave I, Chappelle I, there. I had never even heard of it before we booked those shows. Yeah. Uh, I was just really bummed out that we couldn't play the Metro. That's like yeah. our home away from home. I know. That's, the place is great. Yeah. Yeah. But you're going to do it in June. June. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, take your time. It's hopefully it's, it's hopefully. weird. It's weird out there still. Well, it's, I you know I had cancer last year. Yeah, and I have diabetes, so I'm in no hurry to like go out and have someone kill me with their breath. Yeah. Nor am I in any hurry to like fill rooms full of like loving failure fans and get one of them, God forbid, right hurt or killed. Yeah. Well, it's great to see you. It's great to be seen by you. You look great. <laughs> you look great. I'm glad you got uh, you through everything. What? You know, I, I have been kind of looking around in a few areas. I mean, I don't know whether I'm going to do it or not, but I've been looking in real estate to see what it would cost to live in other places. Mm-hmm. It's pretty reasonable, like, around Chicago. Is it? Within, like, an hour or so of Chicago. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, there are lots of, like, 2,000-square-foot places for, like, 200 grand. Zion. <laughs> Don't go to Zion. Go I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's way more affordable than here. You probably think Chicago's expensive in the city. But, you know, 40 minutes away starts to come down quite a bit. Yeah. I don't know. You know, you, mean, you might love it. Yeah. I but just, you have to do it first. Or if I went back know. to the suburbs, it would just be, I don't know. When was the last time you were in the suburbs? To just hang out or to live to live to live to live it was you know when i was in like early 20s high school type of stuff like that at your parents place right it's totally different living in the suburbs on your own (laughs) when it's your place in the suburbs not quite the same and you're different you see the world differently than you did when you were under your parents roof i don't know if i do no 
Do I? Gabe, what do you think? You might you might be an old man in the suburbs, you know, telling people to get off your lawn, maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm like that in the city. It's bad news. <laughs> like, you, you, what you, is, you cry uh, when people don't pick up after their dogs in the city. You're going to cry when they do it on your lawn in the suburbs. Non-stop. That's disgusting, by the way. It's totally disgusting. I'm bitching at people about not putting, not 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 breaking their boxes down in the trash. Oh I'm totally God. the old man. Yeah, totally. You know what man. I do? What? When I see a fucking box that's not broken down, I go out there, I break it down, and then I write a note on it and I put it on their doorstep. Oh, we do the same thing. Because it's got thing. their address on it. <laughs> I know. It's like, like I you know, know who you are. This is. Yeah, we do the same yeah, thing. It stopped happening. <laughs> the the shame. Of it, it, Totally got rid of it. But we don't break it down. We just take the whole fucking thing and just throw it in their fucking yard and say, eat it. (laughs) I'm not doing their work for them. What am I? Some kind of schmuck? (laughs) I, I definitely choose the softer, gentler way. Making a point while proving a point. (laughs) Well, you're smarter than I am. So, you know, there we go. You know, I never ask anyone to do a job that I'm not willing to do myself. There you go. Now that, that is, that, that, that's it. That is, those are words to live by. That's, that's the lifer's ethos there. You know where I learned that? Running recovery homes. Yeah. Because you imagine there's like 12 men at the lowest point of their life. And it's about convincing everyone that the health of the house depends on every single person, Mm -hmm. myself included. So it starts out with everyone has a chore to, you know, keep up the good health and cleanliness of the house. So what I do is I choose the kitchen, which everyone uses all day long. It's constantly a total mess that you're having to clean up. Right. So guy who's got to work on the bathroom a little bit once a day, can't say no i don't feel like doing my chore when i'm doing my chore all day right yeah you learn you learn a lot of really important lessons when you're required to be the one to do it first so you can show everyone else that's new i know you don't want to do it but check it out like i didn't want to do it either but it's working for me right i just did it i just did it and now it's a part of my life because it works also so you can just say Listen, pussy, I did it, so fuck off. How about that? Exactly. That, you know, that, that's that, the main that point. Be, yeah. That, if you that want to live here, you're going to do your chore. Right. I don't want to hear anything about it. I do that, way more than you. Exactly. Go do your chore. That would be what I would, yeah. that would be the point I would be trying to make. Yeah. Yeah. See, once again, Yeah. Di- different, different approaches, you and me. It's just the package you put it in. Same yeah. message, just different packaging. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, man. Thanks Thank for you. doing this. Thank oh, I you. love it. I love it. Thanks for the new record. I'm can digging it. Can you feel it. me staring in your eyes? Yeah, for the last, I can. How long have we been on? For like two hours? Been a, been a bit. You know, sometimes yeah. it, it goes shorter. Sometimes it goes about this long. Oh, it's nice. It's like one long, sexy moment. Yeah. No. Two men, the prime of their lives, <laughs> yeah. talking to each other. You feel, you feel like this is the prime? I do. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 50 is the new 30. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if it's like that for everyone. 
um, but I, de- I definitely feel in the prime. Well, Gabe just turned 50, so he's been telling himself anything <laughs> like that. And, and up until a few months ago, until, he did, until last month when he actually turned 50, he would talk shit about 50-year-olds all the time. He's like, oh, you're old. I'm right, like, I, wasn't, I wasn't up there with you guys, up in that rare air. Now I'm up there with you, and I, I, I don't feel any a day older, older 30. But uh-huh. I'm, I'm looking at this session drummer website for Kelly Scott, and I see a listing here for Dr. Dre. Tell, tell me something. Oh, did yeah. You work, you work yeah. with Dr. Dre? I did. Um, when I, I used to do all into Perry's records, and she used this string section called the Section Quartet. They do actually a lot of like singer-songwriter records. They're mind-blowing. So Eric Gorfain is the leader of the Section Quartet, and we were on our way back in town from a Baruch Assault tour. And he called me on the phone uh, and was like, hey, dude, I've got this session. I want you to come down and play. Are you available? I was like, well, yeah, when is it? I'm just getting into town. Perfect timing. He's like, it's at the Capitol building. It's with a 72-piece orchestra. And it's going to be like a minute worth of material. We've got an hour to record it um, for the new Dr. Dre record. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, sign me up." <laughs> Another like life goal checked right. off the list. Uh, it was pretty nerve wracking at first. Was he I, at the session? Know, he did. He did come oh, down, okay. and we did it in the. It was. It was. Uh, uh, we were recreating. Um, uh, a change is going to come. Oh. Uh, with the actual engineer, what's his name? He just passed away six months ago. Who engineered the original session? Fuck. In the original room, with the same amount of orchestra, seventy-two piece orchestra. It was like just chills. But yeah, I showed up and like just felt so out of place and like, what the hell am I? Like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Um, so I pulled the conductor aside, who I also knew a little bit. Um, he was one of Eric's friends, and I was like, you know don't tell anybody but i don't know what the fuck i'm doing (laughs) and he's like all right don't tell anybody but we're all following you right (laughs) exactly you're the drummer i was like oh okay okay now i get it so that's you're following me that's in the studio in the capitol building is that like where like sinatra was doing yep oh yeah big massive round room all those records with what's his face First and only time I've ever been there. Oh wow! Yeah. So he's. And I think the... we were we were in and out of there in like I, don't know, I think a half hour the session took. Well, what was the guy's name that Sinatra did those records with? Come on, Ben, you know this. Al Schmidt. No. Nelson Riddle. Yeah. So the studio that yeah. he's doing the stuff with Nelson Riddle. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm sure Beach Boys did some stuff in there and. I mean, Capitol Studios was the joint back in the day. Yeah, dude. That's crazy. Yeah. The real question is, Kelly, are, people want to know, are you Team Clive Burr or N- Nico McBrain? Both. I had to slip that in. I grew up a massive <laughs> Iron Maiden fan. I loved Clive Burr, but had no problems when Nico McBrain showed up on Peace of Mind. Oh, yeah. He started that record out. One of the places my dad was stationed was uh, Nassau in the Bahamas. Oh, wow. So I got to go over there and wait outside the studio and get all of their autographs. Right. 
I remember when that you were picture. A kid? They were recording Power Slave. They're, they're all yeah. yeah they're all got the shirts. Uh, yeah, the shorts I had on. them sign my peace of mind when yeah they were working Holy on cow. Power Slave. Wow. Uh, peace of mind. I don't, I don't like them as much anymore. Have you heard the new one? Have you heard the new record? I oh. haven't. Oh, Kelly, you it's just actually, stepped in it. Is yeah, it good? You, oh, it's it's great. They it's had a the couple best. stinkers in there. Well, forget that stuff. Forget that okay. stuff. Steve Harris has the last three tracks of his <laughs> album. There's three songs that are about nine minutes to twelve minutes long at the end. You don't even That's need to hear time. the rest of the record. Just play those three. Okay. What, what's it's it like, called? It's like the new Failure record. <laughs> no, the new album is called Sunjitsu, but the song you want to hear is called uh, either The Parchment or <laughs> the Hell par- on Earth. Dude, Kelly, The Parchment is a great fucking song. You it's have song to listen it, to The Parchment. Okay, right, but huh. just check check out the last three songs on the record. The parchment is the bad translation of senjutsu. <laughs> um, it's bad funny, translation it's is my favorite song on the record, on the new failure record. Mine too. It's so cool. That was that was actually the first song we started with that at the Grohl sessions. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, said, and I, you, I really kind of felt like I played too hard. Like his room is so loud, it just uh-huh. really kind of. I lost all of my faculties and just went for it. I really? look back at video and I'm like, mm, looks like I'm playing a live gig. Good for the for the listening audience. You say Grohl it, sessions. You're talking about Dave Grohl. Yeah, we we did half the record drums <laughs> at his. No, he's yeah. That's me <laughs> playing on the record at Dave Grohl's studio. Right, but how, you know, you didn't get to say, like, how was that recording at his studio? It was great. It was great. I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal studio. It's his house, um, though, isn't it? No, no. It's a, like, standalone, real okay. studio. Um, I, I had been there previously for a New Year's party. Um, so I'd been in there before. I wasn't completely unaware of, although it, it was, uh, it was Grease-themed. So when you walked into the parking lot, it was a carnival where you could like win prizes and stuff on carnival games. No, Greece, not Greece too. Uh, Greece, <laughs> Greece. Okay. And uh, then you walked into what is their reception was a, an actual soda fountain shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the gymnasium was the drum tracking room where they had a real basketball court set up and a time clock to count down the new year. Nice. So yeah. you recorded it in a gymnasium, basically. Well, that's what it was the first time I went and okay. checked it out for that party. So I was trying to get the the uh, when the levee breaks type of drum thing going. And on. then some. Yeah. It's probably the loudest drum room I've ever played in. Yeah, it was pretty inspiring. Yeah. And plus, I mean, all of his stuff is all over the walls. It's like you know, you don't want to show up to Dave Grohl's house and choke. <laughs> So, uh, you know, a, a lot went into getting other, and I mean, it worked. It worked. He provided me with a really, really good energy that certainly helped propel me through without any hitches. I mean, we finished the drums in three days. Right. I think we originally had like five days scheduled. Three days sounds about right when I think about you. You probably usually do three days, don't you? Um. I mean, it, it depends. It depends. Like, I do those sessions now where anybody can send me a song. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually do about 10 to 15 songs a week. But I work two to three days, depending. Right. 
on, yeah. on how many I get through that week. A lot of people sending those songs out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been pretty fucking awesome. Lucrative. Like I dude, literally I, I had this job at a tech company and on January 29th, a Friday, uh, like one of the, they, they had just got bought out by a corporation and like one of these people I don't really know hit me up and was like, Hey, we want to get you in a zoom meeting at quarter to six, which is the end of my shift. I'm like, all right, well, either they're going to give me a raise or they're going to fire me because mm-hmm. the pandemic's like full swing. Everyone else in my department has been fired. Um, and as soon as I got on the zoom meeting and looked at their faces, I was like, Oh, okay. It's fired. Laid off. I was laid off. Yeah. Um, I still had worth, but they couldn't pay for it anymore. So I was laid off. So rather than freak out, you know, because I have like this health insurance and of course bills and uh, it's Friday night, six o'clock. What am I going to do? You were mentioning earlier that you were looking at my sessions website. So that was like two years before this. I put all this money into like, I'm going to do sessions and like launch this whole thing and it's like crickets not a single job mm-hmm. so flash forward two years i've just been laid off i'm gonna put out a facebook post saying i'll play on anyone and everyone's song All right woke up to 25 gigs yeah next day 30 more gigs next day oh. 10 gigs like just on and on and when i got through all those songs i put out another facebook ad and just even more came in like since February. Um, I think over 500 songs. Where are you recording all of these? Uh, you remember Gabe? He's he right used there. to No, my Gabe. He was working for failure on the road. He yes. was our tech, one of our yep. techs. Yeah, yeah. He used to be Ken's assistant when I first met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, engineering assistant. He like two or three years ago kind of packed it up with us didn't want to go out on the road and do any of that stuff anymore. So he built his own studio and I gave him one of my drum sets and it was like, here's an awesome drum set. So you'll always have it to record people. But if I ever need a studio, eh? uh-huh. um, which I subsequently gave him that kit. I think his last birthday, I was like, oh, just keep that drum set. So it's but like yeah, if- he's been my engineer. So it's like, if you gave somebody a shirt, and you said, uh, I want that shirt back if you ever don't wear it anymore. Is, is no. That, that, no. 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 Okay. Originally, so you don't have to pay him. You don't pay him. No, I pay him. His, I pay do. him. Yes, I pay him. But he just gives you the time. I, I wouldn't have anyone work for me and not pay them, period. I don't want anybody doing that to me, and I certainly no. won't do it. That's to another else. ethos. You've got to pay people what they're worth. Yes. Which is why nobody gets paid here. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it's been great. I, I get to, you know, I get a lot of free time to hang out and stay away from people potentially carrying a plague yeah. that could kill me. <laughs> um, but, you know, no, I get to, like, spend a lot of time with Priscilla, you know, and chill. And my life isn't just about playing music. So it's a really good balance. Hang out with the dogs. Um, Yeah. And I get to be like super creative, like two, three days a week, uh, which is just the best. The best is hearing like, I can get anything from like, uh, uh, 
this Japanese girl sent me her garage band, like two files, uh, vocal and some keyboard stuff, no arrangement or anything. And then, you know, I've got stuff with like 17 parts in 14 different time signatures and like, it's the whole gamut. Right. Um, it's, it's pretty mind blowing. It's super cool to be like in that situation where you're constantly just performing from any, any end of any and every end of the spectrum. Right. It's the same thing. Like when you were, you know, Linda Perry's guy, you know, you've got to, but even more so, even more so because a lot of these people aren't necessarily professionals. So the way they hear music and record it is like really untethered from any of the conventions that you and I approach when we're writing something. Right. Um, you know, a lot of the time I just kind of have to react to what I'm playing. Yeah. And it's, it's this totally new other space that I'm kind of familiar with, but also still feels slightly untethered. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's it's been amazing it's really been just i mean i could go on just a great experience and how grateful okay. and all these people are just super sweet and you know it's very enriching yeah well i'm gonna learn how to play drums and then i'll do it <laughs> well why don't you do it for guitar or like songwriter like hey let's write a song together uh, i don't know nobody wants dude that. i'm telling you like it's it's like, can, it's worth the effort and then some. Can you write me some songs about bleeding and you know and Jesus <laughs> sucks and Well know, maybe it's... let the other person write the lyrics. Yeah, okay. That'd be good. <laughs> no, really, you're you're gonna at the end of the day, like you will find yourself better for the experience. Like yeah. I I'm more and more as I get older, like Saying yes is like where all the personal freedom is found. Right. Like saying no and closing myself off to like any and every opportunity just because I might feel uncomfortable. Um, no, I agree those, with you. Those yeah. days, for me, those days yeah. are gone. I totally agree with that. I totally um, agree. It's just, you know, we don't have that much time left. No, and you know, and I, I, th- I think this. Uh, you know, an upside about the COVID thing uh, is the COVID thing is that, you know, it's forced a lot of us to like think about things in different ways and, and to pivot. And, and w- when you see people do that pivot and then flourish beha- because of it, uh, it's been really inspiring, you know, yeah. and that's not just music, you know, just people at their businesses and their restaurants and their bars and, it's been and everything, the way yeah. they like connect with one another. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been weird, but you know, it's another change. Yeah. You know, I mean, the one thing we can always count on things are going to change. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying, like the, those shows are, were a pain in the ass that we just did, but, uh, they're also some of the best shows I've ever played in my life. So it was, yeah, it was one of those things. Well, I, I mean, you guys in particular bring something like as soon as you get on a stage that you don't get to see in those bands ah well i mean that's why i've always loved local age especially like watching you guys live like there's an undeniable energy and love that 
you know, it's it's not something you can pretend to have, even though many will try uh, and not succeed. Um, yeah, from the first time I saw you guys to like, you know, the last time we played together and I watched you guys. Yeah, well, you just you know, you got people that dig the band, you know. I mean, you know, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, you, know, you yeah. feed off that kind of thing, and that's all that is. You know, you got the same thing. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. It's good to see you, Kelly. I love you. Likewise. I yeah, love you man. more. I love you more. Prove you it. Love me more. Yeah, prove, prove it. it. <laughs> prove you love me more. All right. We'll get to it. Tell uh, Priscilla we said hi. I will. I okay. Will. Thanks for doing <laughs> this. Yeah. Dominoes and too much thought 